HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Rolling Press, a family-run, eco-friendly printing company. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is your guest radio announcer, Phil Bravo, here live from Roberta's Pizzeria on the Heritage Radio Network from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Call in all your questions to 718-497-2128. And now, Dave Arnold. Whoa, yeah! Yeah, Phil. That's right. Joined not only by... The inimitable voice of Phil, his body, who cares? The brain, doesn't matter. The voice, the voice of, of? Of Phil Bravo. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? A combination of humpback whale and Godzilla? What is that? It's an arrow. Oh. You never heard one of those? Well, Phil's a huge gator fan. I'm sure he has stock in an air horn company. I absolutely do, and Vuvuzelas exclusively. What's a, is that the brand of air horn to beat? No, the Vuvuzela. It's the thing from uh, South Africa, from two the World, World Cup. Yeah, two oh, World that ago. irritated the crap out of everyone. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. What, what kind of noise does that make? Uh, it's like more like a kind of thing. Uh, Phil, by the way, teaches recorder to small children uh, and works at the at the Hall of Carne- Car- Hall of Carnegie, right? Or yeah, no? well, it's Carnegie though. Car- yeah. Carnegie and uh, well, you know how Booker yeah, pronounces it, right? I know. Carnegie. 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 Yeah. Which I think is fitting for what the guy did. You know, he's a robber baron, so Carnegie. But then he gave it away. He, he invented philanthropy. Well, kind Carnage of. Carnage Hall. Kind of. It's like, you know, uh, I mean, we all like libraries and stuff, but I don't know that it's like, I don't know it's okay to, like, kill ten people to give a third, you know, an 11th person a book. Hey, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, whatever we yeah. call that. Yeah, Carnegie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the, uh, I mean, look, I love the robber baron era. I do. I love it. Uh, also joined in the studio by Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. Can you say the hammer in Phil voice? Oh, I can do a Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. Oh, yeah. And Jack in the engineering booth. Jack, you loving this announcement stuff? Yeah, this is awesome. It's, it's awesome. I mean, Phil, Phil, I'm not going to make any insults about you personally. Your voice, though, built for radio. It's true, yeah. And I feel like I'm just here to, like, dance for you, Dave. Just... Uh, well, you, well, one last dance before we get into some questions. And obviously... I don't know if you know this, uh, Phil, because Phil, being a friend of uh, Nastasha, does not listen to this program ever. Sometimes. I, he listens. When we call him out, she fast-forwards to the part <laughs> yeah. where we're calling him out. And then, 
you know, we've said some choice things about Phil in the past. <laughs> Uh, but as you know, uh, when you're on the show, like you're expected to chime in at various points. You know, no silent, even announcing bystanders. Uh, but before we uh, before we go any further, can I please have sad Tony the Tiger? Oh no! See, this is the thing. You he said sad happy. Tony the Tiger. I could do happy Tony the no, Tiger. You, no, you had the best sad. You Tony can do the like t- a like. You, you can do like <laughs> like you did this an awesome one before. Dave and Nastasia, they're great. I mean, you can do that. No, I mean, do the do the real Tony the Tiger. Well, you have like, what do you what do you want? Like, what do you, like, want like, do you enjoy Frosted Flakes? I do. They Frosted Flakes, they're great. See what I'm talking about? <laughs> See what I'm they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a. By the way, uh, for those of you, and I'm not going to make him do this because he only does this when he's way drunk at the Christmas time. But <laughs> the voice of Tony the Tiger, the late great Thurl Ravencroft, who uh, was one of the lead uh, uh, kind of like novelty voices for Spike Jones, not the movie maker, the original musician, Spike Jones, right? Who yeah. did? Yeah. And uh, also the voice, often mis misrepresented. The, the Grinch, the real one, the cartoon one, not that BS Jim Carrey, you know, nonsense. The voice was, of course, Boris Karloff mm-hmm. of, of The Grinch. Everyone thinks Boris sang the song. Nope. Nope. That would be incorrect. That would be Thurl Ravencroft. He also had a band, but I forget the name of it. I'm sure it was awesome. Wasn't he also the voice in Monster Mash? Uh, that I don't know. I but... think he was the It Happened in the Lab Late One Night guy. It would make some sense. Have you ever done that song in karaoke? I haven't yet, but now I know it's. Uh, it'll, I'll add it to the list. October's not that far away, Phil. <laughs> the band is the Mellow Men. The Mellow, the mellow Ooh, Men. The Mellow Men. Nice. Can, can you do me a favor, Jack, and check to see whether my man Thurl did uh, the... Uh, it was working the in the intro? lab late one night when, when his eyes beheld a scary sight. I will look that up. Yeah, nice. It doesn't seem like it. You don't think so? I'm um, searching. It doesn't bad. seem like it. I mean, the thing is, it's not a question of whether or not... Because he, he was a serious like, session guy back then. So his voice was used in a, in a bunch of stuff, like commercials. I mean, a lot of the guys in, uh, you know, in that business back then, they were just like, Yo, Thurl, we need someone with a low voice. Why don't you come and record something for me? You know what I mean? And that's, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to basically uh, fill, fill that role. So oh, if anyone wants to, Phil, wants to call it... Phil Bravo, that role. And the other thing, you know, like people like, uh, like some of the great music from the 70s. And I'm not just talking... Or like 80s. I'm not talking like, you know, the different strokes theme, which is fine as far as it goes. But I'm talking like Sanford and Son. That's musically great stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, it's just like a bunch of like session dudes just showed up in the place when they're like, you know what I mean? And then that's it. That stuff was awesome. Rockford Files, intensely good tune. You know what I mean? Session guys in the 70s laid down pretty much a ton of of good music. Didn't get paid for it. Yeah, we're about in in the 60s. You got your Mission Impossible. That's in five, isn't it? Yeah, awesome stuff. Although the new movie, they changed it to four. Yeah, because those D bag remixing douches couldn't. Sorry, family program. By the way, <laughs> Phil, it's a family program. Family program. I told him. They're like yeah. no one, no one can move the butts in 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 five. We got to put it in four four. Got to put it in four four so the butts can move. It's Mission Impossible. Your butt's not supposed to move. You're supposed to be on the edge of your seat, wondering whether these guys are going to get their faces blown off or ripped off, as the case might be in uh, in Mission Impossible. Exactly. Anyway, a lot of questions to get to. However, you can call into questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Trying to try a little bit of fill, but I can't go a little fill. I gotta go. I'm more like 718-497-2128. That's, that's my, my normal radio voice. That's Sque- a good Dave impression. Yes, yeah, yeah. squeaky, squeaky, squeaky McGigan. Uh, okay. Uh, got a call in from Philippe. Lately, I've been making fruit juice meringues in the style of El Bully, which translates roughly to The Bully. 
I'm kidding. It doesn't. Uh, uh, Elbowlee's meat, uh, meat meat meringue. That would be kind of awesome. Stas had an I've, I for once wanted to be vegan face. That's the only time I've ever had the for once I wanted to be vegan face. But you would like a beef broth meringue, right? Uh, in a savory pres. Like you have a savory presentation and like a little puff of like F50. I don't know, no. No? Mm-mm. I mean, I've had nori. You like nori, right? Nori. I don't meringue. like the I don't like meringues. I really You don't, don't like sugar meringues? I just don't like the texture. I never liked your F50 things. <laughs> but you don't like also regular egg meringues? No. Not really. What about like uh, meringue on, a soft meringue on a pie? No. Don't like pies. What? You don't like pie? You don't like pie? I don't really like pies, no. You don't like freaking pie? I don't like hot fruit. Uh, lemon meringue pie is served how, Jack? Not hot. <laughs> Not hot. Phil, what do they serve that? What's that other word I'm looking for? I'm, cold. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for cold. Cold. I'm going to go for cold. I'll say Frio. Yeah. What about key lime pie? <laughs> eh. It's not yeah. hot fruit. What the hell? It's not hot fruit. Yeah. It doesn't mean to be hot. You don't need to heat a pie. You know I don't like puff pastry. Uh, what is wrong with you? Yeah. I, I'll eat it. I just don't like it. Well, uh, chalk it up on the list of things. Like, the only thing that Nastasha really enjoys... Sour Catch Kids. Uh, human pain. <laughs> and, and pasta. And, and pasta. pasta. Yeah, but how do you not like pie? Mm. How do you like pie? I'll eat it. But like a, when you mention key lime pie, does it be key lime pie with a either a meringue or uh, a whip topping? That's correct. So, <clears throat> although I can eat it, I like it straight. I don't, not just I can eat it. I enjoy almost any form of key lime pie. I prefer not to have the fake green coloring in it. Uh, oh, but by the way, F- uh, Phil, Florida, Florida. Florida. We were trying true. to get him here the, the day that Lenny was here because she hates all people from Florida. So we thought it might be awesome. Yeah, we wanted we wanted not to tell her you were from Florida to see if she hated you. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna no, surprise. No, no. Yeah. We're talking about Lena Kwok from uh, Cut for Cup. You should like. <laughs> oh, uh, you shouldn't. If you're from Florida, she doesn't really hate Florida people. You should still buy her products. Uh, I'll, I'll be actually in Key West in two weeks. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living the dissolute lifestyle. Exactly. What's what's, what's that one song? Uh, Largo. No, that's Key Largo. Montego, oh. yeah. Right. No, no, no. You're, she's thinking of. Uh, it does say and the Florida no, Key. No, no, oh. she's thinking of. Uh, we had it all just like Bogey and Bacall. Yeah, yeah. Difference. Yeah, you know, down where the trade winds blow. Sail away to Keeler Go. Keeler Go, yeah. Sail away to Ke- We okay, Don't get it through my head. My God. <laughs> Nastasha hung out with the son of that singer. Apparently does not like yeah. references to that song. No, it gets angry. By the way, Bacall's still having it all, not dead yet, which is awesome. I saw her on the street, like maybe she is now, but I saw her on the street like two years ago. I was like, Hello, Bacall. Did she you say like, hi to her? Of course not. She, she saw the look on my face and started shuffling a little faster. <laughs> get the hell out of my way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Lauren Bacall, awesome. Okay, wait a minute. We're back to the question here. Uh, but uh, again, I, you know, why don't we get any callers in? Uh, but say, say, Nastasha, what the hell? How do you not like pie or biscuits or puff pastry? Callers or, are scared of her. That's why. Well, I guess with a nickname like the Hammer, right? You know, how can you not be scared? Um, okay, um, in the style of the El Bullies, beet meringue. I don't think I'd like beet meringues though. No. I think most beet juice products taste dirty to me, mm-hmm. like like jasmine, like dirt. I am using centrifuged strawberry juice. First of all, I would say when you're making a meringue, what you really want is the uh, – see, because okay, – I'll finish the question first. I blend it with, a, with a isomalt and uh, albumin powders. That's egg white powder for all of you people who don't speak albumin and isomalt, which acts like sugar but is not as sweet. So it's a semi-sweet – but if you eat enough, it sure gives you the runs oh because you can't digest it. But everyone's like, oh, I ate the isomalt, and I pooped my brains out. And they're full of crap. They ate a little bit of isomalt, and they think they're going to poop their brains out. It's like the same thing with, 
I ate two Lester potato chips and my body was stripped of vitamin D and I was pooping all day. No, that's not how it works. You know what I mean? But uh, anyways, um, <laughs> having done these tests myself. Uh, now, uh, I let that hydrate overnight, which is a good idea. Egg white uh, powder needs to rehydrate for a long time. A lot of times people have trouble whipping the egg white powder. They just haven't let it hydrate long enough. Uh, and then I whip it. Give it some whip. Whip. Come on, Stas. I know you I like the egg. Right whip. Whip. <laughs> Uh, whipped it to stiff peaks. I pipe little kisses. Do you hate that even more? Kisses. Little kisses. Stas has her I hate kisses face on. Uh, onto a dehydrator tray. Dehydrate. Dehydrator tray and dehydrate. They are crisp within three hours. Do you like the word crisp? Crisp. Uh, they are crisp within three hours and they're nice and airy. Except as soon as I take them out, they go soft quickly. I realize this could be... <laughs> oh! Oh, family program. This is what's happening. Family program. I realize this could be a humidity issue. Whenever anyone says humidity, I think of uh, Lethal Weapon 3 where the guy goes diplomatic immunity, and I say diplomatic humidity. And then, like, I imagine myself getting shot by, uh, with that gl- Glover, right? Uh, no, no. Was, wasn't it Mel Gibson that shot him? Was it Gibson that shot him? Someone will tell us. Um, uh, I could realize this could be a humidity issue. I keep them in a deli container with a silica pack. What can I do to keep them? What else can I do to keep them? Crisp. Uh, well, uh, you can just leave them in the dehydrator for as long as you want during service. So during service, what I would typically do is leave them in a dehydrator. But you're going to want to turn your dehydrator way down, way down. So like if you're dehydrating, it let's how you say way down, say way down for me. Way down. Yeah. Uh, so like uh, if you're normally rocking somewhere between 135 Fahrenheit to 125 Fahrenheit uh, in that range up to maybe 140 uh, you're going to really blast them out if you let them go that long. But if you turn it down to like 100, 110, assuming that your kitchen's not 110, you'll drive off, you'll keep the stuff uh, from uh, sucking up too much extra humidity and you can just keep them for service in the dehydrator. Barring that, what I used to do is get uh, mason jars and uh, not, the, not the ones with the little crappy thin lids, the ones with the actual thick rubber seals. And I would put them in uh, – I would put the, the products in mason jars in a vacuum machine, suck a vacuum, and the lid gets sucked down when the air comes back in. Just make sure that the air coming back in doesn't puff the lid off the top, which you'll see what I mean when you do it. And they stay forever in those mason jars, and they don't require the silica packs. And you just open them as you go if you're going to use a bunch for service. But if you need them to keep going during service – you can use a silica pack, so are the best ways to just have a dehydrator that you keep out there for service. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Try the F-50 instead of the Morang. Try the F-50. But I wouldn't centrifuge the... Uh... See, here's what's happening. Uh, you're, you're using the egg white powder to add the protein that you, the, and, and the structure that you... You took out all the structure when you clarified the juice. Now it's just sugar with some flavor. And so you're adding the egg white powder so that it has the actual, like, structure that an egg white foam would have because it literally is an egg white foam. And the sugar to add the bodying uh, and the, you know, the kind of textural effects of the meringue. If you just, you, if you just keep it un- uh, – if you don't clarify the strawberries, you have all that pectin in there. And that pectin can help provide structure for the uh, meringue itself. And then you could just use something like F50 and you wouldn't have to add any extra sugar if you wanted to keep them uh, like less sweet or do, do whatever you want. I'm just saying there's alternate ways to do there's alternate ways to do everything. And then it's vegan. Yeah. But not natural because methylcell ain't natural, baby. It doesn't come in the, in the real life, in the nature. Okay. Uh, Got a caller. No. A caller. You're on the air. Hi, Dave. This is Johnny from Memphis. How you doing? Doing all right. What's up? Um, I have a question about uh, circulators. Uh-huh. Uh, after you cure an item, pork belly or whatever, and you wash the salt off, um, will it damage the circulator to, like, fill it up? Um, 
with the cured item with like cold water, 70 degrees or so, and put the circulator on like 90 Fahrenheit and let it rise up uh, to 90 with the uh, post cured item in there. Wait, so, you, so, you, wait, so let me get this straight before we go on. You want to. You want to keep the item in water, not in a bag, and just have the actual thing circulating, like kind of commando style, in the in the bath. Correct. Like instead of uh, rinsing the item, you know, after transition after the cure. I get you. Instead of like running water over it for a couple of hours. I get you. Um, you know, just bring it up to ninety degrees, change the water out, fill it up with cold water again, maybe two or three times. Right. What's your what brand of circulator do you have? I a polyfine. I believe it's a classic, just like the first one that came out. Metal. Yeah. No problem. Here's what you do. Uh, you're going to want to wrap the cage in uh, cheesecloth, so that uh, things like uh, you know whatever you have in there, mustard seed or whatever, doesn't get sucked into the thing because that can be a pain in the butt. Uh, I've done it before. I've circulated wood chips. I've circulated lobster shells and butter. I've circulated everything. The the only thing you don't want to do is suck particulate matter in through the bottom of the bell because it clogs up quickly. I mean, you, you'll know when it gets clogged. Uh, I've even done it with, you know, the new plastic guys. They're just a little bit harder to, you know, clean out. Um, but, yeah, I would, I would go ahead. The, the, the issue, like I say, is don't let stuff get into that bell because once, you, once the stuff gets into the bell, then you need to disassemble the bell. If, if, if it stops, if you actually put enough particulates into the bell to stop the impeller from running, then you've got to open up the bell. Not the end of the world, but, you know, you don't necessarily want it to happen. So I would just, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, that you – normally, if I'm going to circulate spices in a bath like this, I stick the item in a cloth. And you can actually do that in this case. You can just take the cured thing, wrap it in cheesecloth, tie it. And you'll still get good circulation through, and you'll rin- you won't rinse off solids, but you'll rinse out um, soluble items. You know what I mean? Um, but the, the other alternative is to wrap the actual circulator itself so that nothing gets stuck. Now, you, you, you don't want to wrap it such that you don't get good flow anymore. That's the, that's the, the flip side of it. Right. All right. Thank you. No, also, remember, if, if you want everything to rinse evenly, make sure to keep all of the pieces of meat slightly separate so that water can get in between them. As long as water can get even a little bit in between all of your stuff, it's, everything's going to even out pretty well. But as soon as two blocks of meat get stuck next to each other, the parts that are stuck together might as well be the thickness of, of the both things put together. There's no, there's no action happening on them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. All right, very good. Good all luck. Right. Let, us, let us know how it works out. All right, appreciate it. Cool, Bye. thanks. All right. Um, wait, so, Stas, what's this question here? What am I supposed uh, to say? Don't th- worry about number one. <clears throat> so why did you put two. it on the thing? Why'd I was going to tell you. What? I was going to tell you. Okay. All right. But you didn't. All right. Thanks. All right. We got, uh, this is from uh, Brian Garrick. Do, we know where, do you remember where Brian lives? No. No? Good job. All right. Uh, do you know where I could find a three to seven? Oh, sorry, it's not from Brian. This is, uh, this is from uh, our boy B. Munkasey. But where does he live? They, they don't say. They used to. and then we Some do, some don't. Anyway, long time, when long they, time question asker. When they asker. put it on there, I put it on there. Yeah, anyway, whatever. Do you know where we could find a three- to seven-day vacation cooking school to learn modernist techniques? Well, I mean, I used to teach those kind of classes. The FCI or the ICC now, the International Culinary Center, might still teach those classes. Do they still teach those? Does anyone know whether they still teach those classes? I don't know. Jack, do you know? Because Dorothy was on. Yeah. I don't. I've kind of fallen out of that kind of, you know, the cooking school world. But I'm sure... Chef Steps probably does something. I don't know whether they do they do live classes. Do we know? 
they probably do some sort of live classes, or if they don't, they probably would, would set them up. But the ICC, I'm sure, still runs the low-temperature cooking class that uh, you know we used to teach. They may run still the Hydro College class that we used to teach. I know they don't do the Harold McGee class that, that we used to teach because then he would call me and say that he was doing that class. And the, but the other, the other alternative is, of course, uh, <clears throat> see what they got on the chef steps, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, and three, what would be uh, appropriate, streamlined, scientific approach to figure out the best, in quotes, sous vide technique for boiled peanuts? Do you, uh, coming from Florida, do you like boiled peanuts? I love a boiled peanut. Yeah. I'm telling you. And it's more Georgia. Yeah, but like you ever, if you ever go to northern Florida, that's yeah, Georgia. Yeah. That's yeah, no, no absolutely. Go, yeah. Gainesville. Yeah, give me give me some give me some southern give me bull peanut. No, like bull bull peanut. But yeah, it's not boiled peanuts. Bald. Bald bald peanut. I'm like, what the hell is it? Aren't all peanuts bald? I mean, they're kind of shit. Goes, no, no, bald son, son, bald peanut, bald peanut. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? The first time, by the way, that you've had a boil, a boiled peanut. You're if you're from the north, uh, like I am, uh, you're like, this is gross. And then, you know what I mean? Do you like boiled I peanuts? I think I've had one. Oh, Magical. Yeah. So, but like the first time you have it, you think it's gross. And it's part of the classic American, uh, not really American, it's kind of worldwide problem of people have expectations. And if something doesn't exactly meet their expectations, it's like, yeah, it's gross. You know what I mean? Uh, because we're like, peanuts are supposed to be crunchy. You know what I mean? No, boiled peanut is not supposed to be crunchy. We forget that the peanut legume. Peanut legume and can be cooked uh, as such. Boiled peanut tastes not like a peanut. So don't walk in. If they just called them boiled sack of goodness, you'd be like, oh, those are really good. It's still sold by a guy out of a pickup truck on the side of the road, though. I think it still has the same issue. (laughs) Well, I mean, in other words, like your two choices down there are those sausages that are soaked in that red goop where the red goop's gone on like half the way through it and the boiled peanut. I'd say the boiled peanut's the safer route. Gonna go with you on that. Yeah, at least it's boiling. It's not in some vat with like a bunch of weird floaties that who the hell knows what it is. You're like, I think that floaty's an onion piece. I'm not sure. And he's like, check it out. I threw some uh, boiled eggs in with the sausage vat. You're like, nah, nah, nah. What's that called? God knows. God knows. Like, you know what I'm talking about, though, Phil. Sausage vat. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, anywho. Uh, the best scientific approach for a sous vide boiled peanut. Well, the first thing you got to do is you have to decide exactly what constitutes a good boiled peanut for you. First thing I would do is is get a bunch of different kind of peanuts to do it on. And you're going to want to get like a good uh, uh, raw peanut variety. I mean, obviously, I'm partial. Although, who knows? Like, who knows whether Virginias are the best for boiled peanuts? I, mean, I don't know. I haven't done the extensive study because you don't need them to be crunchy because they're not going to be crunchy. But the Virginia peanuts are huge, and so they'll probably be good for boiled peanuts, right? So your first thing is they're going to be going to get a good set of uh, – a good a good supply of the peanuts. Like That's going to be your first thing. I mean I'm sure like when you go to our Chinatown and you get the raw peanuts, they're still in shell, but they've been sitting there for like 8 billion, jillion, million years. Like just like you know, growing that sweet, sweet aflatoxin. I'm sure that that's not going to make the best boiled peanut, right? So then you figure out like, okay, okay, I got a good source of peanuts, and then you got well, what, what do I want out of a boiled peanut? What is it about a regular boiled peanut, boiled? What is it about it that you didn't like? You know what I mean? And uh, my guess, and you know, I've done this a long time. My guess, not boiled peanuts, but I mean cooking. Uh, low temp is that the temperature control on the peanuts is not going to be that important. So the advantages you're going to get out of going sous vide aren't going to be from a temperature standpoint. They're going to be from a flavor concentration standpoint because you're going to be cooking them in substantially less water. Uh, 
I don't think you're ever going to want to do an out-of-the-shell boiled peanut because God didn't want boiled peanuts to be eaten that way. God wanted you to shell the weird kind of papery, wet shell and then put them in that little bowl or throw them out the window of your car. Or just eat them. You eat the shell? I eat the shell. Wow. Real southerner. I love that. That's where the salt is. Wow. All right. So anyways, my point being, figure out what it is you like about a boiled peanut, and then I wouldn't worry about temperature control. What I would do is figure on water level first. I would choose, I would choose without any spices at all, three different uh, water to peanut ratios in a bag. Uh, I would uh, do it uh, at three different vacuum levels, one in a Ziploc bag, and then – well, actually, you know what? No. Don't do plain water. Do salt so you can figure out salt penetration on this. Get two tests out at once. Choose the same salt level on uh, for your brine. Do three different brine ratios on the peanut and then three different vacuum levels on each brine ratio. Start with Ziploc bags, then a you know relatively full vacuum, like 99%. Let's call it like 15 millibar. And then one where you suck the living crap out of it and then inject as much in, almost like you were doing a vacuum infusion. Cook those... Um, those nine bags in, in simmering water at the same time for the same amount of time. Uh, pull them out and t- test them and see whether you can see any difference between them in terms of salt penetration and in terms of peanut flavor. And from there on out, you're going to start honing in on which of the columns and rows, you know, vacuum level and brine level that you like the most, and you can start honing in on uh, kind of where you want it to be. Once you've done that, then if you want to add spices, you can add them at that point to see how much kind of penetration you get through the shell. Then, yeah, fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take a break. Uh, I can't. I can't say it. Guest announcer has to take us oh, a break. Yeah. Uh, and now we'll be taking a break. <laughs> You're supposed to come right back with cooking issues. Oh, sorry. Uh, we'll be right back with cooking issues. <laughs> Everybody, I'm Phil Colicchio, the host of the Business of the Business here on the Heritage Radio Network. And this summer, we are turning five. The Heritage Radio Network is five years old. Since our launch in 2009, we've continued to bring you food and culture content like nobody else in this business. And we need, and when I say need, I mean need, your help. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a passionate, grassroots, action-oriented, nonprofit organization. And that means we depend upon the support of listeners like you to keep us alive. If you love what you hear on this radio station, the Heritage Radio Network, please visit our website and become a member today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. you got to be economically sustainable. Help us out. Thanks. Bye. Today's program was brought to you by Rolling Press. Rolling Press is a family-run digital and offset print house that brings together eco-friendly methods, ethical practices, and personalized service. Using environmentally responsible papers, non-toxic inks, and wind power, Rolling Press represents the harmony of traditional craftsmanship and mindful sustainability. Rolling Press offers advice on reducing paper waste and energy consumption, helping you save money and minimize your carbon footprint. For more information, visit rollingpress.com. Hi, I'm Reggie Watson. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Org. Welcome back to Cooking Issues with Dave Arnold and Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. Say, Reggie, Reggie Watts got nothing on you. I love him. I mean, he knows how to, I can't, you know, my favorite song I can't do on the air because this is a family program. But 
it's a sugar honey iced tea and then other kind of stack. This has not been a family program thus it far, is a, as is, promised. It is a family program. So uh, Phil had a, Phil, of course, saves his best story for during the break. So I can give a, give a little thirty second uh, shout out to your uh, to your bull peanut friend. Oh no! So I have a I just have a very good friend who had a. Uh, an, in, this is in northern South Florida, kind of West Palm area, but would always drive home every day. And there was both the boiled peanut person who was also doubled as the shrimp guy. And he, so he would have, like, shrimp just in the back of his pickup truck. And so it was always the internal debate of, also, is it okay? Also, also bald. And bald peanuts. Yeah. But the shrimp uh, also. The yeah. shrimp were on – I know. The shrimp were on ice. They were just raw shrimp that you were ah. buying to, like, bring home. Like, he was just, like, your shrimp monger. Ah. So, like, is it okay to buy shrimp from the back of a truck on a random road outside of, like, Okeechobee? I don't know. But it turns out – Oh, it was great. Yeah. yeah. Like, after – it was a long Facebook debate. And so, uh, everyone, everyone uh, was on both sides of the fence. So the New, the New York version of that is we used to have a mini meatpacking district up at like about 125th Street near where the fairway is now on the west side. And uh, so when you used to come off the west side highway there, there would be dudes in white – I'm talking like 70s, 80s. I think maybe as late as the 90s, but I don't remember it when I was actually up there in the 90s for grad school. So it's like 70s, 80s kind of thing. Dudes would literally just be on the street. You'd pull off the West Side Highway at 125th Street. This we're talking about by the 24-hour McDonald's for any of you guys who know the neighborhood over there. And just standing out there with meat in their hands, like meat, like a steak, like a raw steak, like on 125th Street. And you're like, I ain't going to buy a steak. This is what Madonna was talking about when she said New York in the 80s uh, you know, yeah, had yeah. more danger. And you know, it was the meat, gong, the meat guys at 125th. Well, the awesome thing is, is like, that's like the safest thing you could be doing is buying street steaks uh, you know, at, that, at that time. Uh, I miss the street steak. You know, it's like, I don't, like, what I never knew was I never knew whether the guy was like, Hey, yo, Eddie, go out and sell some of these uh, steaks. They didn't pick up the order. They're going to go bad. Or whether it was... I'm stealing these steaks. I'm going to sell them because the, the boss is so drunk. He's not going to notice that I'm not The steaks fell off the back of the truck. Yeah, right. Quote, I unquote. mean, I used to have a guy that that kind of happened like with uh, parts for sculptures that I was building. So I would go to this place and I won't, I won't call out who it is, but I would go to this place and he used to basically, I'd be like, I need like, um, I need like some bearings and some sprock and I would get all this stuff and he'd be like, yeah, yeah, come back in like a uh, half hour, meet me outside, but, you know, um, win cash. And then, like, he would give me these great discounts on, like, uh, bearings and stuff. That's that's the way New York used to run. We were so much more, like, you know, not like now. Yeah, it's like, a, you need bearings? I got a bearing guy. Yeah, I got a bearing guy. I got a guy that can fix that. But you know what? You're going to want to bring some cash. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, we're not going to mention this. Um, <clears throat> anyways. So uh, let's get some of the questions I missed from last week, yeah? yeah. I'm going to rip them out. Pierre writes in, hey, Dave, Nastasha, and crew. And if you knew you were going to be here, Phil, Pierre would have called you out as well. Thanks, Pierre. Uh, <laughs> thanks for all the great shows so far. I'm just about ready to take the plunge and buy an immersion circulator from my home kitchen. Uh, I, don't even need to, I don't need to explain that anymore for our audience, I right? So. You know, they, they cook things at a very accurate temperature, you know, m- most important, like, culinary advance in the past, you know, couple hundred years, blah, 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 blah. Uh, one thing I haven't decided on yet is the packaging method. After reading your sous vide primer, it seems that the simplest way to get started uh, would be with a Ziploc freezer bags. You are correct, sir. Uh, however, I'm not sure how I feel about going through that much plastic in the long run. Are there any decent reusable options out there? I've heard of people using mason jars for smaller items, but that hardly sounds practical for things like steak, unless you want them to be jar steaks. You know what I mean? I noticed I didn't say Stas has the don't say tube steak look on her face. Oh, no, I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you did have the look. I don't know no, whether I that's didn't. what you're thinking. No, I was, no. 
Uh, but that hardly sounds practical or desirable. Not just practical, not desirable for things like steak. The only other option I've come across so far is the, and how do you pronounce that Lecu thing, the Lecu whatever, uh, silicon bag. Uh, reviewers weren't too thrilled about the seal and the size, though. Any thoughts? Uh, thanks, Pierre. Yeah, there are no good answers to your question uh, yet. I mean, if you're going to, there's, there's no good answers to your question yet. I mean, I think people are working on it. Uh, I know people are working on it, uh, but no one's come up with it yet. I don't like the, the, the resealable silicone. That's just gross. That's it's just gross. Like having reused like uh, zippies before, which is what we call the ziplocs in the tree. We call them zippies. Go get me a zippy. Remember when you're buying the ziploc bags, do not buy buy the freezer bags. The storage bags are uh, weak in the technical sense of the term. They are weak, uh, and uh, not just in the they are puny and don't do a good enough job. I mean, they are physically weaker than the. Uh, freezer bags. Do not buy the ones that have the double layer of film. They suck. Also, do not buy the ones with the little uh, zippy doodle thing across the top, that little zippy doodle, that, that, that slot racing zippy doodle across the top. That's for people that, what, can't seal a bag like a human being, and they don't hold uh, uh, a seal as well. So stay away from all of those things. Uh, and, you know, you could try those those resealable silicone jaws, but they're also thicker, so it's going to take a little bit longer to get your heat transfer through them. Yada yada. The people are working. Let me just say, people are working on it. Like in the next six years, there will be. Here's my prediction. My prediction is this, uh, and maybe I can get Phil to say it. In the next six years, there'll be a biodegradable sous vide bag. In the next six years, there will be a biodegradable sous vide bag. There you go. And so while we're waiting, if I were you, I would just stick with the uh, with the polyethylene uh, zippies, and don't worry, we will get around to saving the world in the next six years, right? Yeah, all right. Uh, okay, let's get some more of these uh, questions that I missed from before. Let me get some short ones. So I'm making, I always, you know, what sucks is when I miss the short ones because, like, I sit around yapping for everyone, and then uh, you know, whatever. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, this is from uh, Mildred Katie in Albany, New York. Uh, I like when people tell me where they're from in a thing. You know, don't you like that, Phil? To know where people are from. I like that. If only Nastasia would uh, would put that in there for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Unless it's. Unless it's Lena, who doesn't want to know that you're from Florida. Although she loves people who like gluten-free products from Florida. Those are the, those, those are the good kind of Floridians. They're the good ones. Uh, I've been enjoying the show. This is, uh, this is uh, Mildred, actually. She, she, she didn't enjoy the show. She had a, 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 a different question. Um, I think. Wait, now I'm getting all confused. Okay, okay, I'm a new listener, but I've been avidly progressing through the back catalog of my daily commute. Uh, I already love the show. I've been spreading the good word to others, so thank you for doing what you do. I love eggs. I didn't answer this question all right, did I? Okay. Uh, I love eggs and eat them near every morning. Good call. The incredible. Edible. Egg. There you go. <laughs> uh, I have a Volrath Steel Coat X3 7-inch non-stick pan. They're starting to get a buildup of materials that don't seem to come off with dish soap. And Oh, this is not, this is not Mildred's question. Shock. This is uh, Michael's question. Right. I get all confused. You know why, people? Because I'm stupid. Uh, so this is Michael's question. Um, uh, with soap and hot water, do you know what I could use to get it nice and clean again and still retain its nonstick properties? Uh, or could you recommend a better nonstick pan for eggs? So the question is like, I guess, for eggs. Uh, do you even like nonstick pans, Michael? Uh, P.S. I saw the patty melt video uh, that I did recently and in awe of the home kitchen. I don't have that kitchen anymore. Styles like my new kitchen better. Uh, and your zero compromise approach. Uh, Styles definitely hates my zero compromise approach. Um, okay, so the deal with nonstick pans is. Um, 
they have a, a coating on them, and what you don't want to do is uh, scratch the coating because that's that's the kind of what you don't want to do. So, uh, I mean, quick and simple, like just go buy Scotch Bright pads. Uh, let the pan soak for a little. If you have deposits on it, like certain things are going to stick to a nonstick pan. So, for instance, like the, the one thing that I have that is completely nonstick, and I, I don't, I have one regular nonstick pan, one. It was a scan pan. I've beaten the crap out of it, and it's useless now. I use it only to cook things that I don't care about. Like, this is going to sound bad. Like bacon. I don't really care how bacon cooks tilapia. because I don't cook tilapia. I don't cook tilapia at all. I cook that using my garbage can. Like that's the best way to cook tilapia is with the garbage can. But the um, the uh, you know speaking of tilapia, uh, I am going to be at uh, Tor- in Toronto tomorrow uh, doing the Toronto International Food and Film Festival or something like this. Tiff. Not TIFF, the, uh, the graphics format, but TIFF, the Toronto International Food and Film. And so, like, this is hilarious. Uh, so the person who set it up, they're, like, they're, like, they're going to ask you why you chose the movie. I'm like, I didn't chose You chose the movie for me. Don't you remember? But no, anytime you do something, you have to pretend that you chose yeah, the yeah, movie. Yeah. So the movie I'm doing is Soylent Green. And so what I'm going to say is that tilapia is, like, right – it's one of the Soylents. You know how there's multiple Soylents? There's, like, Soylent Red, Soylent, you know, Soylent whatever, and Soylent Green. Soylent Green, by the way, I don't want to spoil the movie for you. Made of people. It's the only one that's made of people. Apparently, well, who knows? We I mean, don't ever figure out what the other Soylents were made of. Tuesdays is Soylent Green Day, by the way, in the movie. Like you get the different Soylents on different days. Oh, okay. Anyways, it's like a six-minute warning. Oh, oh. oh Jesus. Uh, so, anyways, uh, tilapia right up there. Um, right up there. Uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, but the one thing that you do need to have nonstick is your waffle iron. So, like, I have a boatload of cast iron sizzles that I use, sizzles, like, uh, you know, little sizzle pans that I've used for, you know, well over a decade. And right now, like, I use them exclusively for eggs. But they've been, uh, you know, se- I seasoned them well the first time around, and I use them constantly, and I keep them in good shape. And so, you know, they're amazing for eggs. Uh but, you know, your waffle iron, uh, the amount of time it takes to get it properly seasoned so that a waffle actually releases from them is longer than I have patience to do. And so uh, I've tried using cast iron waffle irons, and they suck. This, By the way, do you know that's why waffles have such a high fat content in the old recipes is they were built for <coughs> old school cast iron waffle irons. And so they need a, 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 an abundance of oil to release properly. And a modern waffle recipe doesn't need co- nearly as much uh, oil in it just for organoleptic properties to get it to uh, to work. And so you can, you know, that's one little known fact about waffle recipes. I don't cut the fat down because I don't care. Uh, but anyway, so like, uh, but those, like, if you make the mistake of putting blueberries in, I mean, not taste mistake, they're delicious. Although, I don't like waffles, right? No, I do. Uh, whoa! Uh, put blueberries in your waffles, they will burn onto the nonstick because the sugar will stick and burn onto the nonstick. And that is a biznage to get off of that uh, thing. So I, I feel where you're coming from. So what you want to do is like soak it in water a little bit. Buy the specific Scotch-Brite pads that are made uh, to be non-stick. I mean, sorry, to be non-scuffing. They make specific non-scratch Scotch-Brite pads that are made for non-stick pans. Don't believe anything anyone says about it's okay to use metal utensils. The particular one you have has steel uh, particles mixed in with the non-stick uh, coating, and the idea being that when you're scraping a spatula across it, it won't get damaged as much because the steel on steel will resist, and so that's why they do that. They also have one that's one level above yours where instead of steel particles, they use slightly more expensive ceramic particles, and everyone now is moving away from Teflon so that, uh, because, because apparently – it can release uh, PFOA or perfluoro- perfluorooctanoic acid, 
and people are worried it's going to cause cancer. So people are moving away voluntarily from using Teflon in their pans. Hopefully, you know, by 2015, they're supposed to have uh, people are supposed to voluntarily have taken it away. But anyway, uh, there you have it. Is that a good good answer? Semi good answer. Okay, uh, now on to Mildred's actual question. Uh, I'm going to, have to do it quickly. I've been enjoying the show and working through the back episodes uh, because I've been enjoying it so much. I'm writing because I have a dilemma. I'm currently living with my two best friends. Conveniently, they're married to each other. He's half Korean and cooks like it, and she's allergic to soy sauce and other forms of soy. Uh, soy. By the way, soy lent supposed to be a mixture. I, I heard of soy and lentils. Soy lent. Uh, not soy that you eat in Lenten times. Um, he has a Korean BBQ sauce marinade, uh, marinade that's three-quarters soy sauce that we all miss him being able to make. So I'm looking for a soy sauce substitute that can be made in bulk. She doesn't like fish sauce, which is one of the more common Asian umami sources after, sources after soy sauce. She barely tolerates Worcestershire sauce because she can tell it has anchovies in it. Yes, you can. One thing you could do is get Worcestershire sauce, spin it in a centrifuge, and the anchovy drops to the bottom. But you need a centrifuge for that. Uh, we tried Vegemite slash Marmite since it's another fermented grain condiment, but it's so thick we've had problems thinning it enough for the sauce because uh, we lose the umami tone. Do you have any suggestions or did I already kill the other options? Thanks for your time and keep it uh, awesome. Mildred Katie from Albany, New York. Okay, here's some quick things because Jack's going to rip us off the air in a couple minutes. Uh, if you have money to spend... Uh, coconut aminos, which you can get in uh, the Whole Foods, are pretty good. And they're like some sort of like fermented coconut product, and they don't contain soy. Uh, I believe Bragg's uh, liquid aminos do contain soy, so you have to stay away from those. Um, another thing is make some of the old-school fermented mushroom uh, sauces. So if you go look up any of the old uh, like like ketchup-like recipes like from uh, – from like George Washington times, uh, you, they have like mushroom ketchup recipes that uh, you can look up, and those um, can be fermented, and you can and you can get them to because mushrooms already have a lot of umami. So then, when they when they're cooked and then uh, allowed to steep and do their own business, you know you, you you can get that much out of it. You could you could also use them as a fermentation source to make your own Worcestershire sauce as opposed to something like anchovies. Eh, fish, look. Worcestershire sauce is the modern equivalent of a fish sauce for British tastes. They also have a really other one could, called uh, the gentleman's relish, pepperums, whatever. It's like it's like anchovies and butter and pepper mixed up in a little tin. Can you say gentleman's relish for me, please? It's a gentleman's relish. Oh, yeah, but I let my wife have it anyway. Stuff's good. Uh, so uh, try one of those things. And you know anything that has some form of substrate uh, with proteins that uh, breaks down over a long fermentation period, you're going to be able to get those nice uh, umami things. But think mushrooms. Uh, think coconut aminos uh, and uh, you know, work with it. And those things are good. Although, you know what? You got to get is – is I forget. Is it, is it the, it's the wife that doesn't like the, – the, the can't have the soy and doesn't like the fish, right? I think so, yeah. I would just do like a little bit of fish sauce every day and just work her up to that sucker because fish sauce is yo delicious. And you can also look for this uh, Japanese fish sauce called Ishiri, the ones made, now don't tell her, made exclusively of squid guts. That stuff tastes like liquid meat. Oh, another thing people oh, – sorry, not to blast your ears out. Uh, another thing uh, people do is they make soy substitutes by using concentrated uh, broth like bouillon cubes. It doesn't taste the same. But – you know, uh, what they're really doing there is jacking the MSG. So it's like another thing you could do, just saying, is add something like like that has a little bit of that protein amino action and then a little bit of the MSG. But Nastasha is one of the people that thinks she's allergic to MSG. By the way, you know, I have the capsule. Uh, remember, yeah, we, yeah, we got the cap. We got. Let's write in if you give a crap about this. But they have the we, we bought a, a gelatin capsule packer or, or vegetarian. You don't have to be gelatin uh, for the event we did in uh, at UCLA. 
And uh, we were thinking of actually doing a double blind radio, like male uh, double blind placebo controlled uh, MSG study with our own packed gel caps where like I would pack them with numbers on the packets, Stas would mail them out to people, and then we'd get reports back on the radio. And I know it's not scientific because I can't control whether you guys are liars or not, but I feel that our radio listeners are good people and they won't cheat, right? Mm-hmm. And then we could have like a, a – I mean, now it's not legal also because I'm not allowed to do research, but if we're just having fun, then we're just having fun. Do we have the insurance for this, Jack? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Anyway, so what I'm saying is, is like, if if, if there's if there's interest in this, we could run a, a controlled uh, thingamajig, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't I have three minutes. No, I don't have three minutes. All right. So let me just go over the list of questions that I didn't answer, and we'll have to answer next time. Whoa, he's got a oh, Jeebus! No, Jeebus! This is right. going to end the shows from now. <laughs> Simon, Simon, I I swear on several stacks of Bibles. Your question on um, your question on carbonation will be the very f- Simon from the UK. Well, I might be there in November for the book. Okay, I don't know. Uh, will be the very first question that I'm going to answer uh, next time. Nastasha hopefully will remember to tell me that. And we had uh, two qu- uh, a couple questions we didn't get to today. One on shadberries. They had a question on mulberries. Uh, listen, the trick with mulberries is uh, I'll say it really quickly. I'll, I'll do it more in in depth next time. I'm going to get to the ice cream question uh, that, that's also here that I didn't get to. Uh, but on mulberries, uh, when you're looking for mulberries, uh, the problem with mulberries is the black mulberry and the white mulberry hybridize very readily between each other. So a lot of the mulberries you see on the street here are combinations of the two different mulberry varieties because they so readily hybridize. And the taste is radically different from tree to tree. Sometimes even within a tree itself, you'll get tasteless mulberries and mulberries that have a good acid balance. So what you need to do is wander around the city. And Stas and I did this one year. Uh, we wander around the city. Whenever you see a mulberry tree, taste one. If you like that mulberry tree, go back there next get everything you can and then go back uh, next year but you cannot judge a mulberry tree by the first even five trees that you taste and that is Phil Cooking Issues with Dave Arnold Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.